All right, would you turn with me in your Bibles? We're going to make an audible from the bulletin. We're going to be in Acts chapter 4. We're going to pick up in verse 23. Acts chapter 4, verse 23 through 31. Now we've got two sermons left in this series before we transition to finishing the book of John. We've got today the church in the world. And then next week, we've got the church in heaven. The church in the world and the church in heaven. Now, what is the church? The church is a people of God, ordered by the word of God, participating in the covenant of God. For ten weeks, we have discussed what happens within the confines of these four walls. Well, what about out there? How do we address the pressures pushing against these walls, pushing against God's people? That opposition is rooted in our definition, isn't it? If the church is the people of God, it implies that some are not. If the church is ordered by the Word of God, it implies that some lives are not. If the church is those participating in the covenant of God, it implies that some people have no participation. So what do you think that creates in people? Friction? Animosity? Opposition? I want us to pick up that thought in our sermon in a sentence. In the face of opposition... The church must bear witness. In the face of opposition, the church must bear witness. Let us pray and we'll read our passage. Heavenly Father, I simply echo Paul's words this morning. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of all glory, would, that you would send your Spirit, the Spirit of wisdom and revelation, to open the eyes of our hearts. Help us this morning to see the truth in your word. To see it with our eyes. To treasure it in our hearts. Lord, we ask the Spirit's help in these things. We ask it in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Now let's pick in verse 23. Hear the word of the Lord. When they were released... They went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything that is in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why do the Gentiles rage and the nations plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats 
and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with all boldness. Thus ends the reading of God's Word this morning. Now let me catch us up to speed. Peter and John go to the temple. They heal a man in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then they proceed to preach in that same name and 5,000 people are led to Christ. Now alongside salvation you also see some frustration. The ire of the religious authorities. But let me understand something. This is not any witness. When we hear the word witness, I think of a courtroom. This is not an expert witness. This is not a professional on the podium. In verse 13 it says, they perceived that John and Peter were uneducated common men. The Greek word there is idios. It's where we get the word idiot. They looked and saw two idiots. And yet what they saw is that they had been with Jesus. Look how simple are their words. Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than God, you be the judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. The world was being turned upside down by two idiots bearing witness to Jesus. And the religious leaders, how did they take that? Their feathers were ruffled a little. They clapped their hands, they raised their voices, they hee-hawed around, and they let them go. Exalted above the heavens, Jesus used two common, ordinary men to overthrow every power under heaven. And yet, that thought That reality seems odd to us, doesn't it? We stand at the very end of an epoch, of an era. We stand at the very end of what has been commonly called Christendom. Most of us have grown up in a period where it's a largely Christian world, where everybody went to church, Everyone had a common morality. Everyone was on the same page. Are we in those days anymore? I don't think so. Francis uh, Nietzsche once said that God has died in the eyes of the populace and yet his shadow exerts a large influence. Today, that shadow itself has been eradicated. The world has not erased God's shadow by an effusion of light, 
but they have drowned out his shadow in suffocating darkness. It is as Paul says in the book of Ephesians, they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God due to the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. And yet, we are the church. A city on a hill, a lamp that cannot be hidden. How does the church exist? How does the church continue to be faithful in a world of such darkness and opposition? What we must do is we must bear witness. Before getting to the witness, let's address something about the opposition. We must expect opposition. Now, this seems counterintuitive, doesn't it? We know Jesus. He's kind. He's gracious. He's beautiful beyond all things. He is the sovereign Lord who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. What's not to love? And yet, Jesus says, the light has come into the world, but the people love the darkness more than the light. Why? Because their works were evil. We see in the Old Testament that the world is opposed to Christ and His people. Quoting Psalm 2, the, uh, the disciples see themselves standing in a long tradition of opposition. We see it in the very beginning when the righteous Abel is opposed by Cain because Cain was of the evil one. From the blood of the righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah who died between the altar and the sanctuary, any act of faith, any witness to the righteousness of God has provoked opposition. Hebrews 11 depicts the saints who were flogged, mocked, and stoned for their witness. Which of us here can forget Elijah who goes to Mount Horeb and he says, God, I'm the only one left. It feels like that sometimes, doesn't it? You have to remember that when we read the Old Testament, we are not reading a biography. We're not reading a book on the changing political landscape of the ancient Near East. We're not reading a catalog of epic military conquest. We are reading of a rising enmity, of an opposition of the world against God's faithful witness. We see this ultimately in Jesus Christ, do we not? For they say that in this city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, Herod and Pontius and Gentiles and Jews. This should strike us as odd. Jesus is described by his enemies as one who went around always doing good. He touched the leper. He fed the hungry. He healed the sick. He raised the dead. He even paid his 
taxes. Jesus would be the best neighbor on God's green earth. And they fiercely opposed him. They verbally assailed him in public. They falsely accused him in private. They mocked him before men. They crucified him before God. Why? Well, one, Jesus' identity as God's son bore witness against them. John chapter 5, it says, they hated him because he made himself equal with God. He was the son of the father. They were a one-two punch. They were on the same page. They were two peas in a pod. And if he is with the father, he is against the world. Isn't that what we say today? If you're not for us, you're against us. Jesus' allegiance, his identity with the Father provoked hostility from the world. Jesus' speech bore witness against them. Jesus spoke with grace and truth. Jesus is not what I would call a hard man. We know hard people. We know people that like to stir the pot just because they like to see people upset. I know some of those people. Jesus was never one of those people. Did Jesus say hard things? You bet he did. But those hard things often came with the gracious invitation to repent. And it always provoked opposition. This is what light does, isn't it? When light intrudes into a dark place, for some of us, that is a sense of refreshment, of joy. But what about people that have things they don't want to be seen? How do you think they feel about the light? They violently oppose the light. This is why we read of things like the mafia killing off witnesses. Why? They didn't want certain things to come to the light. This is why we see them provoking, having opposition to Jesus. His words brought things to light. He bore witness against their hypocrisy, their pride, their vainglory, their hard-heartedness, and most importantly, their unbelief. And it provoked opposition. Finally, his actions bore witness. Jesus touched them they would not touch. He ate with those they wouldn't eat. He listened to those they wouldn't hear. Every action bore witness against the hardness of their heart and the unrighteousness of their day. So they opposed him unto death. Now guess what we're going to experience in our time? The exact same thing. Acts 19, Paul goes to Ephesus. They preach the gospel. People are converted. They take all their magical books that they had bought at the marketplace. They set them on fire. The magic industry saw a several million dollar drop in the stock market that day. How do you think the stockbrokers and the businessmen responded to the preaching of the gospel? 
How do you think they felt once it hurt their pocketbooks? They didn't feel very happy. There was violent opposition. Mark my words. Every time the church stays silent on sin, the world is calm, cool, and collected. But every time the church bears witness against sin, the world gets in what we call a hissy. The church faces opposition. And I will be the first to say opposition is a hard row to hoe. But it always bears the most fruit. And we can trans, we can read through the pages of history. I don't need to look very hard. Anytime we speak against the prevailing sins of the day, anytime we point people away from the world into Jesus Christ, there will be opposition. That's the world toward us. They are violently opposed. Now what's our response to them? We bear witness. Luke writes, Grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. Now how do we bear witness? Do we form picket lines on the side of the highway? Do we wear cheesy Christian shirts? Those make me sick. Do we wear little fit Jesus fishes on the back of our car while driving 83 in a 70? None of you do that, I hope. How do we bear witness as a church today? Well, let's take our cues from Jesus. First, we bear witness with our identity. The disciples refer to themselves as the Lord's servants. When we are baptized... We're baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Our identity is with Christ. Paul says we've been buried with Him in baptism and we've been raised with Him to a newness of life. We identify with Jesus in our baptism. When we take communion, we dine, we have a participation in His body and blood. We identify with Jesus. That makes sense to us, doesn't it? If I don't want to identify with someone, I'm not going to take them out to lunch. Does that make sense? We have a meal with Jesus. We're identifying with Jesus. These things proclaim our identity to the world. Let me just be very firm and say, we can't have two identities. One always dominates the other. If we identify with Jesus and the SEC, we're going to stay up late one Saturday night at the football game and miss church on Sunday, and that will tell me really quick which identity is most important. We identify with a political party, and we will put that political party's platform above our convictions, We will not share the gospel with those outside of our party. And one identity will trump the other. And we can pick different identities. Country, job, family, fad. Is it right 
to identify with these or God, you be the judge. Our identity shapes our life and the world's response to us. Many of us know the story of Billy Graham. He goes golfing with, I think it's President Ford and a professional golfer. And afterwards, someone asks a golfer, what was it like golfing with Billy Graham? And the guy responded, I don't need Billy Graham stuffing religion down my throat. And he goes to the practice tee and he takes out his frustration. Well, his friend asked him, he said, was Billy rough on you out there? Did he say something hard to you? What did Billy do? And the guy said, no, he didn't even mention religion. Billy said nothing about God, Jesus, religion, and yet the guy accused Billy Graham of trying to, to shove religion down his throat. What was the issue? Billy's Graham's identity with Jesus bore witness against him and his sin. Who we identify with has profound implications even when we're not opening our mouth. We bear witness with our identity. We bear witness with our speech. Notice the disciples pray to speak with boldness. We live in a day and age where we, we define ourselves by what we feel on the inside. This is why words are now deemed a hate crime. This is why cancel culture has become so prevalent. Words hurt. I don't know about y'all, but that's always been the case, hasn't it? Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Whoever wrote that, I want to break with sticks and stones because words hurt. Peter and John were good men. We see them serving with us. We see them having ministry to the disenfranchised, to the distant, to the ones the world wants nothing to do with. They were good men. And yet they knew that no matter how much kindness they load up their words with, their words would cause a firestorm. And guess what? They said them anyway. They spoke those words for the honor of God. They spoke those words out of a love for man. They spoke those words because... They were true. Isn't that enough reason for us to speak today? Let me say this very clearly. It is not enough for us to speak a word for Jesus if we try to avoid the pressing issues of the day. Martin Luther once said, if I profess with the loudest voice and the clearest exposition every portion of Scripture except that little point 
of which the world and Satan are currently attacking, I am not confessing Christ, no matter how boldly I may profess Christianity. Where the battle rages, the loyalty of the soldier is proved. Y'all know me enough by now. Am I a combative individual? Not really. But are we not pressed in on every side? In the Barbie movie, it begins with little girls destroying their baby dolls and picking up Barbies. A blatant assault on motherhood. Is that not an issue that we, as the church, can speak to today? The distinction between male and female is being obliterated at every turn. Is that not an issue the church can speak to today? Pornography and the the degradation of women is commended and encouraged. Is that not an issue we can speak to today? The orphan, the widow... The sojourner, the stranger, they pass their days in squalor? Is that not an issue of which we can speak to today? Do we not have what Paul says, the word of truth, the gospel of our salvation? Hasn't our God clearly spoken? We must do as well. This is where the battle rages. This is where our loyalty, our identity must be proved. With love in our hearts and tears in our eyes, we must bear witness to another way, to another life, to another hope, to all the blessings that are found in Jesus Christ. That is a central point being pressed hardest today. Now along with our words, we must bear witness with our actions. Our actions bear witness, don't they? When we refuse to engage in activities, other people notice. Hebrews 11 says that Noah's construction of the ark bore witness to the world's condemnation and to God's righteousness. Jesus says that our good works glorify our Father in heaven. Over and over, our works bear witness. Jason Holopoulos speaking to children. He highlights how poorly children have been treated in every generation. And what has been the church's witness? Well, he says, the early church opposed abortion and the exposure of unwanted infants. Hospitals, schools, and orphanage developed as the church's mean of caring for children. Christian leaders led the fight to protect children from exploitation in the Industrial Revolution. The actions of the church testified to the importance of children. These actions bear witness to Christ's love to those who are least and most marginalized in society. 
Children who are considered burdens and baggage in our day. And we continue to bear witness by how we have children in worship. How we invest in the lives of our children as a families. We bear witness that they too have a place around the altar of God. That's just one example. But church, we have much more to bear witness to. We must be aware of the waters in which we swim in, of the Kool-Aid the world is drinking. The world encourages a hookup culture. Bear witness by loving your wife and family well. The world encourages promiscuity. Bear witness with your purity. The world encourages greed and envy. Bear witness by your refrain from social media. The world encourages materialism and wealth. Bear witness by your simplicity. The world encourages division. Bear witness by how you eat and fellowship with those who are different than you. The world points to a different place. But we must bear witness to Jesus Christ. Now in closing, let me say this is the hardest thing that we will do as a church. And I will be the first to say that past generations have missed the mark in places. Opposition is a hard row to hoe. But it bears much fruit. Now what is the secret of us being faithful in our witness together? Luke tells us, When they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Let us follow their example. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, it seems as each generation has a different hill to die on, that there are different issues in each age, there's different issues in each community, in each family. Lord, I pray that you would help us to see all the ways in which this world compromises a faithfulness to Jesus Christ. And help us, Father, to have that tenderness and that boldness to bear witness in every way. I pray your Holy Spirit would bear witness in our own hearts that we belong to Jesus and that that would be matched by the way he sanctifies and conforms us to Jesus in our speech and our actions. Father, let us not be fearful, but give us a holy courage. That as Jesus was led outside the camp for us, that we may be with all boldness, be willing to be outside of what is popular, what is culturally acceptable, what is approved, that we may bear witness to Jesus Christ. Lord, grant us strength as a church for this purpose. We ask this in his name. Amen. Church, would you stand with me? We're going to sing the first, I think it's two verses of him, 264. Jesus, keep me near the cross.
Let's sing the first three. Jesus.